Hey, cuz, welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs. And today, we're having another talk with John Hall. Hi there, I'm Claude Call, and I'm proud to be amongst you. When I did that first interview with John Hall over Skype, uh, we chatted a bit afterward, and we discovered that we were both going to be in Nashville around the same time. I was spending a week there to attend a podcasting conference and soak up some local culture, and he was getting ready to move into the area from upstate New York. He was gracious enough to agree to meet with me a second time for a follow-up interview, and I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about some of the things that I'm sure he and most musicians don't get too much in the way of free reign to talk about. Uh, We met at my hotel, which is the Gaylord Opryland Hotel near the edge of the city. And let me tell you, this place is huge. It has something like 2,800 rooms, the entire building encloses an enormous atrium that has you feeling like you're outside, even though it never rains and it's always 71 degrees. There's a glass ceiling like 100 feet overhead. At one point, I had to ask an employee for directions and she told me, Well, you see that doorway, you go through that doorway and you turn left and then you just keep on going down about a quarter mile. And when I shot her a look, she said, I'm not kidding. Likewise, when John arrived at the hotel, I told him exactly where I was and it was still a good 10 minutes before he found me and he didn't get lost. It just took him that long to get there. So you're going to hear some background noise, including the 60-foot waterfall nearby and people passing by, and even the bell from the passenger ferry that passes underneath the walkway we were sitting on. And John was wonderful enough to show some patience when I had a technical issue with my recording device. My fault, not the devices. So here's me and John Hall, founder of the band Orleans and a solo artist in his own right, when we were in Nashville just a few weeks ago. So let me preface by saying we are in the atrium at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. And so that's why you hear a lot of ambient noise around. There's a waterfall nearby, and that's probably what you hear in the background most of the time. There is a little river passing underneath us. Uh, There is occasionally a tour boat that goes down that little river. And so uh, this this place is kind of big and crazy and, and a little intimidating. And I thank you for finding your way to me to, to spend some more time with me. Thanks, good to Claude. meet you in person. It's good to finally. be here. Good to be anywhere. So and I uh, to... there's a, there are a few tourists around, too. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something that I don't often get to hear artists talk about, and that's the cover art on the albums and, uh, and some of the, the creative decisions that, that go into them. And... Well, let, let's start with the first two, which were like relatively plain, uh, just your logo on a sort of background and, and work our way from there. Sure. Yeah. Well, we were making our first album in Muscle Shoals, Alabama in 1973. And it was uh, the record company who came up with the logo and the, they have record companies at that point anyway, all had art departments and art directors. And, uh, and they... Uh, decided that they would uh, use this logo for us and a burlap background to it. And we were okay with that. We were too busy with the music. Uh, we were young. We were all in our 20s. And we were just trying to make sure the music was right. So we left the, the artwork and the package up to them. And the second album on ABC also was the same cover, but it said Orleans too, And it was on shiny paper instead of that dull burlap kind of thing. 
And then from there, you went to um, Let There Be Music, which got a little bit more creative. You had the, that yeah. everybody standing at an angle kind of. Right. Well, the photographer took a shot with us standing normally and then turned it uh, 45 degrees. So it was, uh, right. it was on the diagonal uh, and uh, had an artist do that uh, scene behind us. Uh, the fourth album, the Let There, Let, I mean, the uh, Waking and Dreaming album is what some people refer to as our naked album cover, which we really, really weren't naked. We just had our shirts off. But uh, the photographer did a two-hour session, and at the last, at the end of it, he said, I got two shots left. Why don't you all take your shirts off? And, of course, those two shots became the front and the back cover. So uh, it's on the Rolling Stone list of uh, the ten worst album covers of all time. But it's good to be known for something. Yeah, but it, what struck me as interesting, though, was was the way, like, one side of the album has you're the only one looking at the camera and the other side has you're the only one not looking at the camera. Right. <laughs> and also I was the only one on the front with my eyes closed and the back with my eyes open. And those, my heads from those two shots were switched uh, the old-fashioned way before uh, before there was Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes a right person in the darkroom with, with a film and negatives and, and uh, developing tools and chemicals to make that come off um things got a lot easier as the digital world arrived <laughs> for all this kind of art and music yeah. that's good that's kind of interesting though that that it was just kind of a lark that the photographer came up with at the end of a huge photo shoot because there are a lot of people who compare it to herbie Mann's push push which also has him appearing to be naked and just holding the flute over his shoulder you know, the funny thing is that at the time, which was 1976 when they came out, uh, I believe it was Kmart, wouldn't carry the album unless they airbrushed in the tops of our jeans. <laughs> the photograph had been cropped, so you couldn't see the jeans, so people were thinking we were, we were naked. Right. And uh, But they actually did airbrush in the very tops of my jeans and Larry's jeans, the corners of them, so that it could be covered, you know, carried in all the stores. And... Uh, Times have changed so much now that that's very mild compared to the uh, some of the explicit uh, art and videos that are out uh, that have been coming out for a while now. So we were ahead of our time. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some truly explicit covers and then others which didn't seem to be especially, I don't know, offensive to me. Not that it was necessarily nudity and still some retailer, typically Walmart, would complain and all of a sudden the album would have a different cover on it or part of it would be masked out. Yeah. Or- well, just to date us, Walmart didn't exist when we made that record. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, or at least not a, not as huge as it, as it is yeah, now. Yeah, not as huge. They may have been around, but they yeah. weren't everywhere like they are today. Now, the album uh, Grown Up Children, you recorded here in Nashville, did you not? We did. But the artwork is not from Nashville. The artwork, uh, well, it was from packages put together in Nashville. The photographs came from upstate New York, from a rock bluestone quarry between Woodstock and Saugerties, the next town to the east. And um, we were standing in the quarry on a couple different locations, mainly these steps against a rock wall. Uh, the, uh, the artist sculptor who put that whole rock, sculpt- rock sculpture together in an old quarry that made bluestone for the streets, the sidewalks of New York City, mm-hmm. uh, Harvey Fight, his stepson wrote lyrics with me and with Larry Hoppin and uh, and wrote uh, 
lyrics for a number of songs on my new record, Reclaiming My Time. So, so there's a little uh, continuing backstory in the creative uh, work. That, when did when did you discover that that relationship? Well, um, Opus Forty is the name of the place, and mm-hmm. uh, it's on uh, Historic Register, and it's uh, it's it's a tourist attraction of its own, with signs on the throughway, the interstate, interstate, you know, eighty-seven. Yes. <laughs> get off here to see Opus 40. Um, and uh, my wife at the time, Johanna, who wrote lyrics for Still the One and Dance With Me and a lot of the songs on those first four albums and subsequent albums, uh, she um, she was on the board of directors of the nonprofit Opus 40 Foundation. And uh, so I knew Chad Richard's mother who was married to Harvey Fight, the artist who put that thing together. And uh, it's been, you know, it's a small town up there. A lot of people know everybody else. You know, people tend to know everybody else. And, and uh, so that was just partly geography. You know, we were swimming in the same little pool. And and we did shows at Opus 40. Orleans did concerts there, I would say, for 20 years, every Labor Day weekend. It was either an Orleans concert or a John Hall band concert. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a great little concert venue. The bands play on the rock there's sort of a a uh, platform separated by a moat from <laughs> wow. a, this big lawn they can fit a thousand people for an audience on the on the lawn separated from the stage by this drop off into the into yeah, more the, natural uh, version of the Jones Beach Theater yeah and so <laughs> the artist the sculptor who did who put together the entire Opus 40 thing with a with a 10 ton obelisk that he winched up by himself with block and tackle and got it to stand on end and wow. balance it and I mean it's an amazing place but Harvey Fight died on his lawnmower he rode off the lawn into the chasm the moat oh, and died no. in his, his own sculpture is that poetic? <laughs> it is Michelangelo like <laughs> wow <laughs> I never met Harvey I'm sorry I didn't he's uh, by all accounts a wonderful guy and his son-in-law Chad Richards is a wonderful guy and a terrific lyricist uh, in the mid-90s, you had uh, the album Ride, which the album cover was a basically a painting of a car grill with the logo taking the place of the grill itself. Right. And the, uh, and the back license plate on the car on the back cover said, Still the Number One. And uh, we're recording for a company called Dinosaur Records out of New Orleans, and they... Uh, Richard Patterson, who was the founder of the label and kind of the guy who was in charge of everything there, uh, found the artist and and uh, came up with the concept and and it's uh, it's another stop along the way for us. We made enough albums that I mean we we care about the covers and we we have input into them. We have a lot more input, you know, since since then than we used to. Um, but, you know, artists have always had this uh, push-pull relationship with record companies. And companies think they know what's going to sell and, uh, and what's going to attract people to buy the record. And, uh, and artists always have what they want to say or show artistically. And sometimes the two are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just for what it's worth, the labels don't know everything. I don't know if I told you this the last time around, but there was a couple of years I worked in a record store. I worked for the record world chain. And one of my discoveries is that yellow albums don't sell. 
doesn't matter how good it is. You, you have to push it really hard. Green albums do okay. <laughs> okay, good. But, I'll remember but there were some not albums where I can remember, like, the cover was primarily yellow. I'm like, this is really good. Why is nobody buying it? So, um, and then you guys did a white album, as well, such as it is, uh, Obscurities. Obscurities is put together by uh, a record company that uh, you know, picked things. We, we always have songs that are uh, tracks from albums that we think didn't get enough attention uh, or songs that we recorded that are sitting on the shelf that are uh, haven't been released on some other record. So a number of the things were pulled together for that record. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's true for all bands, I believe, almost all bands, that um, you need the record company's money and you need their power and their reach to get an album out and heard um, unless you're uh, Stevie Wonder or Bruce Springsteen or Bob Marley or something. You know, Then you can say, this is what I want, and they do it. But, um, but there are always compromises involved, and, and, and we're musicians at heart. None of us are actually... Um, professional photographers or artists although fly does a lot of pretty good photoshop work but uh but it's good to have uh an ally in a record company ideally that understands what you're trying to do and compliments Mm -hmm. and do do you get any veto power over over tracks like you get to say like you know there's a reason we didn't release this one yes yes we do um it's always a negotiation like it is in any relationship and um, most of the time, you know, we hopefully agree on things. And even internally in the band, there are things that we disagree on. Lance, my partner from the original quartet, and I most of the time see eye to eye, but sometimes we don't. And so we work stuff out like any family does. And, um, and the same goes for record companies. Let me, let me ask you something about the, the composing process that, that just occurred to me. Because I, I had to think about, like, there might be some songs for those compilations of unreleased tracks that maybe you say no because they basically wound up turning into a different song, okay? Or you might have realized, well, this is really just a rehash of Still the One or something like that. So do you have songs that kind of morph into other songs? or, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm pr- actually proud of the fact that we never rehashed Still the One. I mean, I, there's nothing, we have never done another shuffle uh, pop record with that kind of vocal arrangement or those, those kinds of, uh, um, I mean, I think we've always tried to make hits, but I, we, we try to make music that we like, and sometimes that winds up being a hit also, but um, I've always admired the Love and Spoonful because they came out with records that were, they had a series of of hit records. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, do you believe in magic? You didn't have to be so nice. Did you ever have to make up your mind? Which was kind of a not exactly country, but it was a uh, uh, it was a uh, sort of a rootsy uh, record and funny yeah. too. Uh, and then they had summer in the city with the jackhammer in the background and that and that. Uh, that minor key thing about hot time summer in the city back of my neck's getting dirty and gritty you know and then the chorus went to a major key 
and was positive. But at night, it's a different yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on, and dance all night. And that that song was different from anything else. Uh, and then they did Daydream. What a day for a daydream. Right. And John Sebastian whistled the solo instead of having a guitar solo or harmonica solo. He whistled. And you still hear that song today on, on the radio and also on commercials. Sure. It's just... Uh, but every one of those songs was coming from a different place. Same guys, same creative, you know, team. But and John Sebastian mainly being, being as it is like a basic sound right. without total reinvention. Right. So I've always admired that, and um, Beatles did the same thing. They changed over the course of their of their career. But there's a lot of different kinds of artistry, and. Uh, the good news is there are also a lot of different kinds of audiences. So yeah. almost any style of music that you come up with, somebody out there will hopefully like it. All right. let, let me ask you about something that, that musicians and specifically vocalists have to face as, as they get a little bit older is their voice is naturally going to change. Okay, and I, and I think about, let's say, Elton John or Robert Plant, who are known for doing these falsettos. Okay, and as they get older and they remain popular and they want to perform live, they're not necessarily able to do that anymore, which is, I mean, that's just the way it goes. And everybody seems to find a way to compensate for it. So, like, Elton John has a backup singer who does the high stuff and he sticks with the regular melody. Robert Plant goes low where he used to go high, which puts a different little bend on the record. But, I, you know, I, I like the way it sounds. Um, You've got a naturally lower voice, and so you don't necessarily have to worry about singing falsettos, but are there adaptations that you have to make as far as your voice is concerned? Yeah, I think that's true of any, uh, any singer and probably any athlete. You know, it's, as, it's the vocal cords are muscles, and just like biceps or, or triceps or glutes, <laughs> you have to really you know, keep them in shape and keep them strong. And as you get older, maybe they get uh, not quite so strong. Uh, plus, the more you use them, well, to a point, using them helps. But you can wear your voice. Anybody can by shouting or talking or singing, especially singing the wrong way, quote-unquote. Um, so I've always been a natural baritone and wanted to write songs like Little Richard or Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to sing out of my range. And fortunately, I've worked with people like Larry Hoppin, who sang the lead on Dance Sweet and Still the One, and, you know, a lot of the Orleans stuff. Um, although I did sing lead on a lot of the songs myself. And uh, and also, of course, uh, the solo records that I did, the John Hall Band records I made over the years. And my new record, Reclaiming My Time, which is uh, my... They're saying, the record company's saying six, but I believe it's actually my seventh solo record. But if you count the John Hall Band records... Anyway, it is. So, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, you know, I've worked with and written for singers like Janis Joplin or Linda Ronstadt or uh, James Taylor and Ricky Skaggs or, or uh, Bonnie Raitt. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and also in the band with, in, in Orleans with Larry Hoppin and his brothers Lanson and Lane Hoppin, who are now, you know, filling in the space vocally that Larry occupied. And Fly Amaro, who sings uh, Still the One Live with us right. now. Uh, I've been fortunate to always work with singers who have higher voices than I do. 
And can, can you still knock out that bass from Still the One? I can still do that, and I do. I, we do a number of songs in the live show that are that have uh, a cappella breakdown sections in where I'm singing bass. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I learned recently that um, some of your Orleans material was lost in the uh, Universal Fire a couple of years ago. Yeah, I believe the uh, I believe that the masters for the first two albums were lost in the fire. Uh, not that they ever called us and said, "Hey, there was a fire. Your masters <laughs> might be gone. We're not sure. We haven't heard a, heard boo out of them." So, uh, but fortunately, they're mastered digitally recorded uh, you know they're re-recorded and uh, transferred to digital and they're on cd so uh so they're preserved mm-hmm. you recently did a um an, an isolation i guess a concert i guess video uh from the more you can handle show can you talk about that a little bit uh yeah no we did the song we did a video for the song no more that you can handle that that uh, lance and larry wrote together um and we shot this after the uh, pandemic hit and the lockdown started. And we were all in different cities and different states. One guy in Gloucester, Massachusetts, uh, north of Boston, uh, Fly Amaro, was up there. Uh, Lane Hoppin in Orlando, Florida. Lance here in Nashville. Uh, our drummer, Brady Spencer, uh, here in Nashville. Uh, and me up in uh, the Hudson Valley, New York, Hudson Valley. And uh, each in our own homes, we recorded ourselves, videoed ourselves, or had someone do it for us or with us, and then sent them to a video editor here in Nashville who spliced them all together and edited it so it looks like we were playing together at the same time. And it sounds like it, too, because we did that recording um, remotely the same way. We did the audio first, and then we did the video mm-hmm. to it. So it's kind of lip-synced to the video to the audio that was recorded first, video that was lip-synced to that audio, and both were done with all of us in different locations. Well, it's, it's pretty seamless. I mean, I was, I saw it, and I was like, this looks really good. Like, how did they manage to do this without having to deal with internet lag? And, and Well, we did it the same way that other artists are doing it, and Rob Arthur, the, the guy who's done the video editing and direction for us, actually, who played with Peter Frampton keyboards for years and years with Peter Frampton, he's... Uh, been the video director on these on these videos we've done not just for that but for the song home and for my song alone too long for my new cd and uh and uh there's a new song that from for lessons the another song third track on my new reclaiming my time cd that's coming out actually tomorrow it's being released on facebook and um and then it'll be on YouTube and so on right this, but, this being uh, in the past as listeners here that would have been August 4th August 4th yeah <laughs> But um, but anyway, it, it's made to look like we're playing at the same time, synchronized together. But the only way it got synchronized was through our audio engineer and our video engineer pulling it together, editing it, and and syncing it up in the editing room. Mm-hmm. So, but that same thing happens with videos that Rob has done for the Doobie Brothers and for Michael McDonald and Sammy Hagar and and Mick Fleetwood and and Peter Frampton. So. And lots of other people are doing the same thing, too. Rob's not the only guy doing this. He just happens to be particularly good at it, partly because partly he's a musician. And he's a very, very good musician. And so when you say, we want to cut on that backbeat, he knows what you're talking about. Uh, so 
it's it's much easier to work with a video editor who knows music mm-hmm. for for music videos. So I guess the, the 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 software just doesn't exist yet for doing that sort of thing. It live. doesn't, but it will soon, I'm sure, because uh, a lot of people started using Zoom a lot, as you know, Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or whatever to be able to uh, video conference together. Uh, the first video that we did actually uh, that came out in June or July of 2020 done in isolation was uh, Beautiful World uh, new song newish song that Larry I mean that uh, the Fly Amaro started and wrote most of it and then uh, Lance and I finished it uh, and that was partly live footage from a show we did a year before mm-hmm. and partly uh video of us on zoom in the little boxes like you have there are four people on zoom right uh, so and it's edited together but you can tell i mean i really wish i'd bought stock in zoom before this, this <laughs> pandemic a lot of people did <laughs> yeah but but zoom has a latency problem there's a time lag so if you try to say something together if or or sing something together um it'll be ridiculously out of sync you can't do it so that it's actually in time so we had to do this uh, separately and have an editor uh, put it together so it sounds like we're in sync. And, and it does. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I see the Doobies videos that were done the same way. Uh, it looks like they're playing and singing together at the same time when they're, they're actually uh, uh, all in different locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we talked last, you were working on a Christmas album with uh, Orleans. We are. We finished it. It's mastered and ready to uh, come out, I believe, in October. We are just pulling together the last details of the credits and the album cover package. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, original material, uh, obscure material that we pulled from you know different songwriter friends, and uh, and uh, there's one track of, of Larry singing "Walking uh, in a Winter Wonderland," but it's the only Christmas carol that you would recognize on it. Uh, and there's a hymn called uh, "Mary Had a Baby" that's. Uh, I had never heard before. It's a liturgical piece that was recorded on a reel-to-reel uh, tape back when Larry and Lance and Lane Hoppin were all kids. And their sister Linda sang on it, too. And their mom played piano. Huh. And Lance was going through closets full of tapes and found this. And we wound up using it just for the first verse. And then we re-recorded it in isolation, just like we're doing all the rest of this stuff. Um, Larry Lance Lane and me I mean Larry uh, Fly Lane and me singing the same parts for the rest of the song mm-hmm. and uh, Andre Zahn fiddle player from Nashville and singer extraordinary musician uh, arranged a string quartet for it and that's it's different for anything that we've ever put out before but it, it's in keeping with the spirit of the season yeah. now th- this is your your first um or at least Orleans' first uh, recording of Christmas music, correct? Yeah, yeah. We right. never. I mean, we did New Star Shining for a record that was released in Japan called Woodstock Christmas. Uh, and that song, Johanna and I wrote for, uh, uh, well, it was recorded by James Taylor and Ricky Skaggs. It's on Ricky's record, and uh, a video by both of them is still available on YouTube and was played on uh, VH1 and, and CMT when they were actually playing videos, music yeah. videos. That's the main thing. So I realize that that 
I mean, it, it's just part of the business. But is it does it feel peculiar recording Christmas music during the summer? Uh, well, it might at first, but that's when people are looking for Christmas songs. And for us to get this record out in October for Christmas of 2021, uh, we had to start it in the spring, and we did. And we're just going to make the deadline to have it in the stores by October. All right. It's definitely a project I, I am looking forward to. So what else is on the horizon for John well, Holt Band or for Orleans? Anna- Orleans' 50th anniversary record. Um, in January of 2022, it'll be 50 years. We did our first show as Orleans in January of 1972. So hard to believe. We were all in our 20s at the time and and remember saying don't trust anybody over 30 <laughs> and um, none of us had any idea that we'd be alive still let alone um, still making music together under the same name same band um, but uh, so that's happening and that'll be out early next year and I'm working on uh, a couple of videos for songs for my new Reclaiming My Time CD uh, John Hall solo record that came out in the spring and uh, there's one that's going to be posted uh, on the 4th of August for uh, the song Lessons. There's another one that's going to be posted uh, uh, soon, like maybe September. It's actually practically done now uh, for the song Save the Monarch, which is a duet I did with Dar Williams. Right, we um, talked about that uh, yeah. last time around. And, uh, and so that video is being edited by Rob Arthur right now. It's just, you know, And I've, I'm talking on the phone about, you know, he sends me works in progress and, you know, rough cuts of it. And uh, it's because there's a song about all the other endangered species mm-hmm. on this earth besides humanity. We're endangering ourselves, <laughs> uh, human beings on this planet. But um, hopefully we'll wake up in time to not just save our own children and grandchildren, but to save all the other wonderful creatures that, uh, that the Creator put on this earth. So it sounds like you have still got a lot to give yet. There's always more to do. I I, uh, I have no desire to retire. I just I love making music and writing songs too much. But um, and also, you know, I I had a couple of close calls health wise, and my brothers, my older brother Jim, my younger brother Jerry, passed away uh, in 2009 and 2010, respectively. And so I'm living on borrowed time, and I know it. Uh, but at the same time, I you know try to stay healthy and eat right and get some exercise and and uh, do what I love. And uh, I'm curious to see what happens. It's uh, I, I really would like to see my granddaughter grow up, and I'd like mm-hmm. to see uh, I'd like to see you know what happens with the environment and what happens with the political craziness that's going on now, and 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 how we pull ourselves out of it. I, I hope we do, and I think there are ways uh, to do that uh, if people start listening to each other instead of just talking. And uh, have you been still politically active? Uh, I'm politically aware. I, I follow a lot of stuff, and I, you know, I make contributions where I can, in kind or or donations. But I, I did ten years in elected office, uh, right. two years in the county legislature, four years in the school board, and four years in the United States House of Representatives. And I. I've done my part in that regard, but I'll, you know, I'll keep writing songs about what I think is important and singing them and recording them. So do you, do you have a, a 
pet cause that if listeners are interested in? I would have to say uh, climate change. You know, trying to, well, the environment in general. Um, but climate change is the manifestation of it right now that's most obvious with the fires out west and the fires uh, in Europe and the floods in Germany that just killed hundreds of people and demolished whole towns. And, you know, the same thing has happened in this country in the last few years. There have been extremes of weather. Uh, hurricanes that hit. The state of Louisiana was hit by two major hurricanes within a two-week period mm-hmm. um, that landed within 20 miles of each other on the Gulf Coast. Um, Nicaragua, I believe it was, was hit by two category, one category four, one category five hurricane that came ashore within a few miles of each other. And then you see what's going on with the flooding in China right now. And the uh, World on Fire for my new record was written when those, we started it when the Australian bushfires were burning. The kangaroos and other creatures were trying to get away from the fires. It was just a horrifying uh, sight. And, uh, and that was followed in 2020 by the what then was the worst fire season ever in California and, and the Pacific Northwest. And right now what's happening is eclipsing that even. So these extreme weather cycles seem to be getting worse. And, um, and that was all predicted. The predictions for what happens if you put more carbon dioxide or methane into the air uh, was that, you know, 50 years ago, the scientists were saying, this is going to cause the earth to warm up. They called it the greenhouse effect at the right, time. Right, right. Al, Al Gore wrote a book about it that was uh, a major contribution. Um, the Inconvenient Truth, or An Inconvenient Truth, uh, before he ran for president in 2000. And uh, here we are halfway through 2021, and we're starting to see that it's not distant future we're talking about. It's, it's already happening today. And, and we'll get much worse if we don't move quick to switch off of fossil fuels and get onto renewable energy and, mm-hmm. and efficiency. Is, is there an organization that you're especially fond of? Oh, there are many of them. There are many of them. I, I, uh, you know, I, I support uh, Natural Resources Defense Council, Friends of the Earth, Sierra Club. Uh, they're, they're World Wildlife Fund. You know, there, are, there are many, and, uh, and I also try to support candidates for office that, that are aware of this. Mm-hmm. And anyone who says, ah, climate change is a Chinese hoax, I'm not going to support that person. I mean, they said the same thing about coronavirus being a Chinese hoax. Right. Well, even if you believe the Chinese developed in a laboratory, which I don't think is what happened, but even if it did, it's not a hoax. Sorry, we better, you know, we better deal with whatever measures are necessary to keep ourselves from uh, too many more millions of people from dying of coronavirus. We got to do even more to make sure they don't die from sea level rise or from extreme weather events or from starvation, from climate change. You know, the acidification of the oceans is already happening. Uh, when carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide are in the air, and they get absorbed by the ocean and turn into carbonic acid or carbolic acid. And the ocean has already started to get acidic enough in some parts of the world that shellfish can't grow their own shells. They can't, the krill at the bottom of the food chain uh, will be affected by this so that you know, if the lowest creature that are eaten by uh, by whales and, and by fish and and feed all the upper layers of the food chain in the ocean, if they die, then you'll see fish and mollusks and you know shellfish and and uh, marine mammals dying, and 
a huge amount of the world's protein eaten by human beings comes from the ocean, especially in the Asian countries, but also here in the United States and in Africa and, you know, uh, around the world. So we, we should really be extremely careful about this because there's going to be no going back. If it happens, if the worst case scenario happens, my granddaughter's going to have a really, really tough world to live in. And I don't want her to say, gee, grandpa didn't do enough to try to stop this. So I'm, that's that's kind of my main mission right now, besides playing music and writing songs, is, is uh, spread the word about that because we need to take it as seriously as we take uh, any any of our work. You know, putting food on the table today, well, we've got to be thinking about putting food on the table for our grandchildren mm-hmm. and great-grandchildren, future generations. So, um, hey, who's going to be listening to Orleans records if there's nobody left to listen? <laughs> <laughs> Sure is a good There's point. even a self-serving motivation. To it. <laughs> All right. Once again, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, JohnHallMusic.com or, uh, or John Hall Music on uh, Facebook or Instagram. And, uh, and or for Orleans, it's OrleansOnline.com. All right, fantastic. Thank you once again Thanks, so man. much for taking time with me. I definitely appreciate it. How about that? John's solo album is called Reclaiming My Time. The Orleans Christmas album, which was just released, is called New Star Shining. They each have their own unique sound, and I think that Christmas album is going to get a bunch of play in my house because I am really liking it. You can get both of those albums either physically or digitally through all the usual outlets. Thanks again to John for spending the time with me, more time than he'd counted on, in fact. And thanks to Ann Layton for helping set that up. And that, my friend, is a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page, at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or you can check out the show's website howgooditis.com where you might find a few extra bits and next time around we're going to find out how good it is when we look at a couple of songs about prostitution thanks for listening I'll talk to you next time how good it is